Hello. Welcome and thank you for joining us and listening to our podcast, The God Beyond the Bible. Our podcast is released weekly each Friday. The content of each episode is based on the questions and curiosities we all have about God and the Bible. Many of our topics are considered taboo in the minds of the mainstream church. You will find our discussions to be, I think, refreshing and often far from traditional. But we don't just skirt around these complex issues, but confront them head on, and not in the way you're used to hearing them discussed on typical Christian talk shows. I'm Alan Rowland, creator and host of The God Beyond the Bible. As of the launch of this podcast, I've been a pastor for more than 35 years. My co-host is my daughter, Trayson, and our engineer, co-producer, is my daughter, Tabitha. Our mission is to encourage our audience, along with us, to open our minds to the reality that God is simply too big to be fully explored or experienced by the reading and studying of a single ancient work. In short, the Bible's not the sum of God, and to think this is to limit what He has done, is doing, and what He will do in our future. So with introductions made, thank you for listening, and let's dive into the topic of the day. And welcome, Seekers, to podcast number 129 of God Beyond the Bible, the podcast made by Seekers and for Seekers. We got some shout-outs. Yeah, our shout-outs today are to Leslie, Messiah Believer, and Dee Dee. We're glad to have you guys listening. Welcome aboard. And our quote for the day is, and will be for this series, Mm -hmm. everything happens for a reason until it doesn't. And that's an unknown origin. I read it somewhere. I think it's the title of a book, actually, maybe, or something. I can't Probably. remember. Well, we ended September discussing the hard questions that the modern organized church is going to have to address if it is to maintain its place in society. We'd like to use that more or less as a segue into the topic for the next few weeks or for the month of September, actually. Uh, how about October? October, yes. Goodness gracious. This year's flying. It has. We want to talk about one of the most enigmatic works of the entire Bible, and that is the book of Job. And I know when you hear that, sometimes you're like, oh, that one. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah. book, yeah. Because, I mean, the book of Job has always presented difficulties for the modern Bible student and the Christian religion as a whole. We've tried really hard to incorporate this story into our Christian narrative, With less than spectacular success. (laughs) (laughs) So let's stop right there and think about it. There is a saying that in our opinion is largely ignored by the Christian religion. And that saying is, if it doesn't make sense, it's probably because it doesn't make sense. (laughs) And I think that it's deeply instilled in every follower of the Christian religion that the things we don't understand, we are to accept them by faith. Which, if you're like us meant I was supposed to ignore it or not think about it and never ask why. No, you don't go beyond. When when you hit that stone wall, you're supposed to stop there when Mm -hmm. you hit that. Well, the book of Job is a book that begs one to ask why right from the beginning. Now, the problem is uh, that we have always read the book of Job from the confines confines of our long-held Christian dogmas, doctrines, and opinions. And, of course, that's what gets us in trouble with the Bible in general. Uh, you know, when you read something, you've already got a set of beliefs, and then you read something with that set of beliefs yeah. from that set of beliefs, and it's hard not to do that in the Christian religion because that set of beliefs are established from the first day you walk through the doors, or exactly. even you're, when you're even at your home family if you're raised in a Christian family. You're more or less told that you base everything off of this foundation mm-hmm. and make it fit. Yeah. Now we've all 
long been told what it says and means before we could ever read or interpret it for ourselves. And that's any text, uh-huh. uh, but, but the book of Job uh, especially. Uh, and that's the problem with the organized religion. By design, much like public school, it programs us to interpret the world from a single authoritarian point of view. I pointed out, I was telling Tabby the other day, uh, someone pointed out to me and it never really said, the reason our school system is not working is it was set up when the sc- public school was set up, it was set up to turn out workers and people who respected the authority of the country. Yeah, and I had never thought about that until. You and it was it factory up. workers. Mm-hmm. That's why the ring the bell, line up, go in, sit down, do your work. Bell rings, you go do something. Else. It's <laughs> all programming to get us ready. Because think about it, we needed, we needed factory workers. We needed factory workers, and now we're still doing it the same way. Even though those jobs are no longer, I mean, they're still factory jobs, yeah, but that's but not the most prominent. That's, that's not what we're, that's not what really, but anyway, that's enough of that. Uh, the problem with organized religion by design, much like public school, it programs us to interpret the world from a single authoritarian point of view. Now, we like to consider ourselves as independent-minded and free thinkers, right? But mm-hmm. in reality, the human mind is very easy to program. If we begin early enough, that's the main key. Mm-hmm. Now, if you think, now that's the reason I think that we just kept the school thing. We just kept getting earlier and earlier well, and earlier right. in public school. Get them younger. Get their minds while they're younger. We need to. I got kind of have that impressional three year old now. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> well, I got kind of hung up on that when I was reading it because I never really put a lot of thought into it. But you know, I grew up in the Barney generation, and Tabby just cringes when yeah. she hears Barney. <laughs> but during that time, the droughts were really starting to get bad in California and water preservation was becoming a big thing, conserving our natural resources, that stuff. And they had a song that they would do on like every Barney episode that was called You Never Leave the Water Running. And it was talking about when you brush your teeth or wash your hands, you turn the water off in between. Right. And didn't think much about it when I was a little kid. I'd sing the song and stuff. And I've realized that even at 31 years old now, I still turn the water off between, <laughs> you know, getting my hands wet, lathering them up. Then I turn the water back on and rinse my hands off. And it's just those little things that program us through life that mm-hmm. you don't really think about. Well, we may talk about it sometime, but if you think about it, we spend many years learning how to be a human being. And we learn it from other human beings. It's mm-hmm. telling us how to be. Here's how you are. Here's how you're supposed to be as a human being. This is how you act. This is what you do. This is you work your job. You do, all, you know, mm-hmm. you do all this. You This is what being a human being means. Uh, you think about it, and I will get on with this, with the book of Job. But if you think about it, I think of, I watch a little squirrel. Two-week-old squirrels know they're a squirrel. Mm-hmm. Yep. They climb trees. They do everything that mama does. Within a couple of weeks, within a few weeks, they're weaned and, and, and off on their own. They know they're a squirrel from the day they Mm-hmm. Get, I mean, they, there's no question about it. Think about it. We don't even know what we are when we get here. No. We have to be t- We don't even know who we are. We're given a name. We're told this is who you are. Yeah. Well, anyway, that's enough of that. If you think about it in this way, this type of mind control limits the creative individualism that is the gift of the divine, seeing that we are in the image of the divine. As we begin this journey, we have to at least acknowledge the fact that we are programmed, both academically and theologically, to see things from a single, common perspective. Our first challenge is to be aware of the power of this influence and remind ourselves of it each time that we feel compelled to fall back on the patterns of reasoning that we have received at the hands of others, of whom we are told are our intellectual and spiritual masters, if you will. And that's really what it is. It's about authority. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's really about just, and I'm not talking about, we're not turning into what are those people act, 
uh, one of those people that just resist all authority, you know, of everything. Right, right. But right. we're not talking about, we're talking about that it really is. If you think about it, it's very easy to, to program a society if you have mm-hmm. control over the education. And then if you yeah. have control over the education and the religious system, if you have those two working in sort of in union, even though, even though the church and the public education system almost acts like they're enemies, they're not. They're very similar. Right. They're very similar because they have a very similar, they produce a very similar result whether they intend to or not. So let's dive into the book of Job a little bit. Um, let's start with the main character of the book, which is also the title given to this mysterious work. And let's try not to get bogged down in arguing over who oh. the author was. Because theologians have argued this point for centuries and they're still no closer to really knowing. And, and, and would it matter if they came up with a name? It doesn't. Isn't it amazing in the Old Testament, though, this mostly gets attributed to Moses because everything you don't know who wrote, Moses wrote. Moses did it. Moses (laughs) must have done that. (laughs) Well, maybe it was Moses' ex-wife's first cousin, husband's grandson. (laughs) Who knows? But we're not even sure how it found its way into the Jewish archives that we call the Old Testament. So let's just accept the fact that we have this ancient writing right now before us. Most of these arguments of authorship and origin really only serve as a distraction from the real issue anyway, and that is making sense of the content of the story that's before us. Now, we'll be referencing our Strong's exhaustive concordance to understand the characters of the story, and and that's because this can't be accomplished from our English Bible standing alone. Uh, It is important to understand that in Hebrew literature, and that's poetry and literature and everything they, that the uh, Hebrew writers did, the characters' names are often key to the plot of the story. Now, the name Job appears as reference number 347 in the Strong's Concordance. Uh, its Hebrew is I-Y-O-W-B, and I understand from Strong's the pronunciation is Eob. Uh, the name literally means hated or persecuted. Let's examine this point. If the book of Job is a poetic and literary work, well, it makes perfect sense for the name of the main character to reflect the role he or she plays in the story. However, if Job is a real account of a real person who in their right mind would, you know, I'm wondering who in their right mind would ever name their child hated and persecuted. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of a rough one to go go. with. Uh, Well, it's kind of like, you know, uh, well, I I had another name that came, came, but I can't remember his name right off the hand, and it meant... You know, something like snotty nose little liar, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, wasn't Jacob, that Jacob? It was Jacob, yeah, yeah. Jacob, you know, I'm not just adding that, but yeah, it meant little liar. Uh, it'll serve us to remember that whenever we are presented with a character in any story, literal or literary, the intent is for us to identify with the main character, to make an emotional connection with the main character of any story. Did you ever notice that? Yeah. That's, that's the whole idea. And of course, every story, if you go back, if you ever watch a thing and it tells you every story that's ever told, it doesn't matter, biblical, whatever, it follows a plot. And the plot is you have a story, you have a main character that you identify with, you have a nemesis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have a you have a tragedy. You have something that's you have something an adversity that the character has to face, and then the character overcomes the adversity in mm-hmm. the end. And do you ever think of that? Every story follows that basic plot. It does. Well, we have our main character with whom we are to identify with, and his name is hated and persecuted. Remember, this is the identity the main character carries throughout the whole story, even when all was well and life was good. To identify with the main character, the reader must be able to emotionally connect with the circumstances the character is encountering. The next character introduced in this story in our English translation is God. 
So there's no need to research this title, is there? I mean, every Bible student knows exactly how to interpret the most (laughs) common word in the Bible and Christian religion, right? The Hebrew word translated God in our English Bible is number 430, and it is Elohim. It is a plural word that means literally the gods. And if you're like us, it's really difficult to think about that one and accept it. This was no problem for the Hebrew audience, though. It is very difficult for the English reading audience because the translators were already programmed with the basic elements of the Christian religion, so using the plural gods presented a special obstacle for a religion that is based on a single god. The solution was to ignore the fact that the writers used the plural Elohim and to make the unfounded claim that the writer really intended for the plural word to be interpreted as singular by the reader. Thus, working off this misguided premise, the English translators made the Hebrew plural gods into the singular God to fit their preconceived doctrines and dogmas. So we're not even into the story yet, and we've already had ideas sort of pushed on to us. Oh, yeah, yeah. We've already, (laughs) just just by reading this English version, if the book of Job were the only place the plural, and you can, matter of fact, catch up on this if you, El or Elohim is the name of a podcast that we Mm -hmm, did mm -hmm. a year or so ago that you might look at. If the book of Job were the only place the plural Elohim was used, this argument uh, that it was intended to be interpreted as singular might make sense, but it wasn't. In fact, the entire first chapter of the book of Genesis uses the plural gods. Remember how strange it sounds to read, and God said, let us make man in our image? Yes. The explanation of the single God religion, such as the Christian religion, is that it is actually the Godhead speaking. You know, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, who, by the way, we are told are the same being. And we're told that God was merely talking to himself when he said, let us make man in our image. But if we read the text the way it was originally written, it would read, And the gods said, Let us make man in our image, which allows the text to make sense with no further explanation needed. And, of course, you, we're more on this as we go along. So the next story, in this, the next character in the story of Job appears in verse 6, and it is the English word, Lord. To be honest, if you were programmed the way that most of us in the Christian religion were programmed to interpret Bible text, we tend to make no difference in the English word God and the English word Lord when it appears. Is that is that seem true to you guys? Definitely. Yeah. I, I don't really have much thought yeah. into You read it. Lord or God or whatever, and you just have this image that same. that's exactly the same character. Yeah. The reality is the words appear different in English because they are very different in Hebrew. As we have already learned, the word Elohim, meaning gods, is translated God in our English text. The word translated Lord is from the word Jehovah, which is number 3068 in Strong's. We are so programmed in our religious thought process that most of us don't even pick up on the difference. Once again, if we go back to the book of Genesis, we will see the English text change. As we pointed out in the entire first chapter of Genesis, the word for God was Elohim, which should be rendered God's. But when we move to the second chapter involving the making of Adam, we first see the title Lord God, which is from the Hebrew Jehovah Elohim or Lord of the Gods. And if I'm correct in the terminology of Lord, that would more or less mean like boss of the gods, right? The it, Lord was yeah. someone that was over. Think, yeah, that he would have it's, maybe it's a an authority. higher It's yeah. an authority. It's a, it's a point of authority among others. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, one more point, after the eating of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we see the text make a clear distinction. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, it reads, 
Then Jehovah Elohim said, Behold, the man has become as one of us, knowing both good and evil. The Lord of the gods, speaking to an audience, says the man has become as one of us, and the text makes sense. The Lord's not speaking to himself. He's speaking to a group known as the Elohim. Evidently. All right, let's get back to the book of Job. Because we're not going to get real far in it. We're just introducing you to some mm-hmm. characters and get you, get our feet on the ground here. Uh, and But we're going to encourage you as we do everyone. Come back when you when the second of these series releases. Come back and listen to the first one again. And Because we're not going to relay the groundwork at every, no. in, in every podcast. So mm-hmm. you need to kind of get this. We need to kind of to really get the most out of this. We need to have this kind of in our minds. Understanding of this. Okay. We've learned the main character Job means hated and persecuted. We've looked at the title God and discovered it mean that it actually is God's Elohim. We just learned that the character title Lord is Jehovah or Jehovah of the gods. There's one more uh, character to examine before we plunge into our story. It also first appears in the sixth verse. It is the character named Satan in our English translation. It is found in the Hebrew form in the Strong's Concordance since number 7854. It is Satan, pronounced, uh, according to Strong's, Satan, S-A-W-T-A-W-N is the pronunciation that they give for it uh, in Hebrew, and actually occupies three slots in the Strong's, beginning with number 7852, which means, are you ready? I'm ready. To hate and persecute, Mm -hmm. to oppose oneself, and that's significant right there. To oppose yourself. Yeah, to oppose oneself. That's uh, significant too. Interesting that the name Job, also means hated and persecuted yeah. and the and Satan here means one who hates and persecutes mm-hmm. or to hate and persecute and num- and then there's uh, number 7853 which means to accuse to be an adversary and number 7854 which means opponent adversary or enemy of good and uh, now correct me if I'm wrong but by being Four separate numbers in the Strong's King coordinates and four separate explanations. Yeah, at least three. Was there four or three there? Well, Satan, uh, 52, 53, 54. There's yeah, okay. three. Yeah. But if there are three different meanings, then that means that there are three different ways that it's used, right? It's not, it can't be, it's not necessarily when you see this word, it's all three of them. It's one of the three, I right. guess is what I'm asking. Right, and and you'll look in there and sometimes it may reference you one of these three. Right. But basically you look, all the meanings kind of overlap though. They're right. only kind of just an overlapping. So usually the, like the, the, the last one, 7854, Satan, usually is a derivative of the other two. Right. Well, I mean, you know, opponent, <clears throat> adversary, or enemy of good, opponents tend to hate or persecute or oppose right. an, an opponent, even if it's yourself. So I see how they kind of yeah. overlap. I just was curious on that. Sorry. So now that we understand a little about the titles of the characters, we're ready to think about the plot in the book of Job. The character Job is every person in history, past to present age, that has ever had the challenges and disappointments of the human experience. <clears throat> one who practices a religion out of fear, who when faced with that with the reality that his religion has not served to deliver him from the same fate as others who make no claim to a religion, begins to question their religion and discovers that he or she only practices his religion because of fear of loss that occurs in the real world and begins to question the inconsistencies of the beliefs and dogmas of his religion. 
What may be defined as a faith crisis by the mainstream Christian religion often leads to enlightenment or true spirituality, as we will discover is the case with Job. And I really invite all of you seekers out there to come along this journey with us because we've got some interesting things throughout the next month of podcasts. And you can also, I wanted to throw out there for everyone, please join our new Facebook group. It is God Beyond the Bible Private Discussions. You can post in that group and your friends list the people. If you're not comfortable putting that stuff out on your Facebook wall, no one can see it if they're not a member of the group. And so you're a little bit freer to talk. But, and, I, and I haven't been on there if you're anybody's, I mean, I don't know who's on there because I stopped Facebooking about sure. nearly a year ago. We passed the messages on to yeah. him, but. Yeah, I, I just, I, I can't take all the political and all the stuff mm-hmm. that goes with And I know in this group it's not. It is no. Not. I mean, it's not that way, but. So I think this is probably a good place for us to end this introduction into the book of Job. And like most topics. Laying the groundwork is a little bit tedious and maybe a little bit boring, and it's easy for us to lose interest, so stay with us. We do believe that if you will stick it out, it'll be well worth your time, and we may just find that the book of Job is not so unusual after all. So until next time, may the divine's unconditional grace, peace, and love be on, in, and radiate out from each of you, our fellow seekers, from all of us here at God Beyond the Bible. Did you enjoy listening to God Beyond the Bible? Do you have an idea for an episode? Connect with us today. Visit our website at godbeyondthebible.com, all one word, or send us an email at email at godbeyondthebible.com, or you can visit us on Facebook. Just type God Beyond the Bible into the search bar.